0: welcome to the make life less difficult podcast this podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves we share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life i'm lisa Tilstra, your host let's jump in to today's conversation my guest today is angela melfi Angela is the co-founder and CEO of Threads Worldwide, a social enterprise that puts income and resources into the hands of impact-driven women in nine countries, including the United States. Angela oversees operations, marketing, and the sales fields at Threads Worldwide. She has 10 years experience in the digital marketing and technology sales space, and holds a bachelor's degree in biology and psychology from Tufts University in Boston. Angela is also the proud mom of two amazing kids and is proud to have visited 54 countries and counting. Reds Worldwide is an inspiring business and business model. Angela and her two best friends started this company in 2012. They focus on partnering with artisan cooperatives and businesses in various countries to support creating dignified jobs for the women who need them. These women watch their dreams become reality through the fair trade of artisan jewelry and household accessories. As a result of Threads Worldwide, these women are sending their children to school, accessing healthcare, and making their homes safer. And in the US, Threads invites women, Should launch their own social impact businesses as Thread's socialpreneurs. I'm gonna let Angela explain how it all works in her own words because you have to hear her passion and love for what she does and for the women that Thread's worldwide partners with. It is truly inspiring. Angela, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for being a community leader and for creating opportunities for others to live powerful and meaningful lives. Be sure to check out links to Threads Worldwide in the show notes so you can see their products and see more about what this amazing business does. Angela, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Thanks, Lisa. As we get started, I like to ask my guests about this quote that my work is built around by Marianne Evans. What do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I'm really looking forward to
1: hearing from you. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I thought about that quote. Um, I think what it it means for me is, you know, I think sometimes we can get caught up or at least I can get caught up in the inspiring answer of, I want to, I want to inspire people. I want to empower people. I want to uh, lift people up, all these things that we can get involved in. And I like the quote in that it simplifies it as a very great standardized place to start. Mm -hmm. Let's start by making life less difficult Mm -hmm. and see what comes from that. And I don't know, there's so much opportunity in that as well of just how that could show up in various relationships, um, sort of reminds me of, or I guess it could be, I, I could correlate it a little bit to, um, the simple acts of kindness yes. or simple acts of making life less difficult for each other. How does that yes. look in everyday life?
0: Yes. That seems it, much more
1: accessible.
0: And it often is quite a simple act mm-hmm. that can make a situation less difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A simple act. And that's a starting place, starting place for a relationship, starting place to that. Because I I think also if you try to go so big, so grand, you might be stopped mm-hmm. not knowing how to do that. But if it's to make life less difficult, you can see a thousand ways to do that.
0: And I love what you're saying about making it a starting place. Um, some people hear the quote and, and it Puts them off just a little bit because they're like, I want to make life easier. I want to like make life better. I don't, you know, and and I get that. And I also, I just everything you're saying, I really resonate with because sometimes things are really difficult, and we can't get right to that place of inspiring and empowering and and fixing and improving. And we we can't get directly there. But I love what you're saying about hey, let's start here. Let's recognize there can be some really small things and. Let's look at what else can come after that. And yet that starting place is so critical.
1: Well, what we were talking about before you hit record about what's going on in Sri Lanka right now and the incredible inflation and the milk powder. And I don't know if you want to share that story, but that right there, that's an example. You purchasing milk powder for the people that you work with every day, that's making life less difficult and what that gives them the chance to focus on in their lives.
0: Yes, and, and and it's. I mean, I can share briefly for context. There, I mean, with um, the current economic and and political distress that this country is is under, prices have soared, especially for imported items. And and milk powder is something I track closely because um, our employees need it and, and use it and want, and want it, right? Like they can live without it. But I mean, this is a this is a nice part of everyday life that was just assumed and, and really inexpensive. And I have been tracking the price. And so just this last week found, and, it, and it's becoming harder to find. So when you see it on the shelf, uh, some of the stores limit you to one per, per day um, and things like that. So it's, it's being rationed and um, recently just paid the local price of 2,800 rupees, which about three weeks ago, I found a kilo for a thousand so that's almost tripled price and and 6 months ago it was 450 rupees and you know in in us dollars it's you know 5-6 dollars for me to to buy that and i mean we spend that without blinking right on on any number of things and yet for local people that price now of 2800 rupees is is the equivalent to what many of them make in a in a day right that's that's a decent day's salary. And so it is, and I love, I appreciate you pointing that out as just a, a simple way to make life less difficult right now. And it, it doesn't solve any problems. It doesn't fix anything. And yet it does, it makes I'm the not- situation
1: using, having that as the context of from where you're looking for things, that would be a natural thing, a natural action that you could take. And if it was, I don't know what something other than that, it might, that might not come across your radar as an action that you could take. Oh, this would make somebody's life less difficult when I get this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So one of the questions I like to ask, and we just kind of see what comes up for you in exploring this. If you think back on your life and Think about a moment in time where you looked around and thought, oh, wow, life is, life is hard, harder than I thought it was going to be. What, what comes to mind for you?
1: It's really recent at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a nine month old Mm -hmm. and my husband and I were living, I mean, this is, Hey, it's all relative, but we were under construction in our home. So we were living in a one bedroom apartment, one bedroom apartment, and it was my nine-month-old, my three-year-old, and then my husband and I who were living, who who both have our own businesses. Mm -hmm. So we're, we work from home. So being in the pandemic, everything was fine. We could all manage it. And we were out and about and had our offices. And then as we all know, everything shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that I just remembered, uh, I might be jumping ahead, but I just remember this point looking down at my nine-month-old who at this point, actually, you know, partway into the pandemic, he's he's a year now pulling up on me and me just looking down at him and just thinking, this is, this is one of the hardest times in my life, mm-hmm. you know, with him, with my daughter and pivoting a business that was a hundred percent in person. Everything was in person. Our mm-hmm. revenue as of mid March, 2020 became almost non-existent and we switched it to move everything online. So, you know, but that all of that recreating a whole new business while trying to raise these two kiddos was it was it was difficult,
0: yeah, incredibly difficult. And there was so much that happened so quickly and and forced us to to pivot. And and those pivots couldn't happen immediately, right? Like so, it was first, like you said, all the revenue stopped, and and obviously, it's like so many companies and businesses pivoted beautifully to online, and it's it's amazing, and yet. We had those times like where it was okay, everything grinding to a complete halt. So in when you put yourself back in those moments in March, April, May 2020, what and who helped make make life a little less difficult during that time?
1: Absolutely, my in-laws. So there it was, where it was mid-March we thought, oh, we're going to go on a three-week vacation up to grandma and grandpa's. They live about an hour away mm-hmm. because this apartment, we couldn't work in this apartment no. even for three weeks. And so we went up to their home and we that's where we heard about stay-at-home orders and where we realized, oh, this is not just a little thing. And so we let our lease expire. I think it was the end of April. So whatever it was, six weeks and we just hunkered down with them. And it was amazing being with them. And, um, I mean, first of all, having people that you enjoy to be around, you know, more people than just our little family who obviously I love, but more Mm -hmm. adult conversation than just my husband. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, They had a space that that they live out in a little bit, not rural, but a more spacious neighborhood. So our kids could run around and be outside. We had four adults in the house with two kids instead of you know, so all of those things. I mean, they made dinner every night. It was it was it was a very. I feel like I have tunnel vision when I think about that. I I really can't. Tunnel vision is probably not the right term. I can't even remember what I could see back then, you know, it was just so cloudy. And I know I wasn't as grateful in the moment about the situation that we had. It was more like how much longer, how much longer is this pandemic going to go on? How much longer for this, like wanting to be out of that situation when really, when I do think back to it, it was, it was oddly, oddly a quaint time. You know, it was very slow and we'd watch shows at night together and we would barbecue together and those things that I just know we would have never gotten in another situation.
0: Yeah. It's interesting as you're sharing the reflection versus in the moment experience, what it takes me to is the importance of telling stories and reflecting back on times like those it is a different experience going through something versus here we are two years later and reflecting back. And I think there's such value there.
1: And you know what I think it was is I don't know when I would have come to it. I hope I would have come to it on my own, but it was my father-in-law at some point. I don't know when it is. It could have been, I don't know. I have zero idea when it was, but he said something to me, like, I'm just so glad you guys, were able to come up and be with us like how great that you could spread out and it was in that moment i was like yes you're right because for me it wasn't it wasn't being there that i didn't want i didn't i wanted to be back in our house i wanted to have the pandemic over i wanted my business to be thriving i wanted to be back to regular life And that was the thing that I was focusing on. And when he said that, I really, it really altered the whole experience for me of like, yes, you're right. It was. And that's when I think the first time I could actually reflect Mm -hmm. and, and really see how grateful I, I am for that time. And, and thinking back on the moments, then it was these, it was these really fun memories that I could recall. It's not like I painted over with a nice paintbrush of like, oh no, it was all nice and fun. No, it really I actually like could recall the fun, slow connecting times, you know, rather than just the fog. Yes.
0: Yes. And I I think it's worth noting that when we are going through difficult times, it it's often not the time to see the big picture, not the time. And and I'm not sure if you have any insight on on how to experience gratitude in those moments. Right. Cause it, cause again, in reflection, it's like, Oh, okay. Yep. I see. And there's so much to be grateful for. And um, and, and I know there's some moments where it, it just feels impossible to find gratitude and, and, and yet intellectually, I know, okay, down the road, when I look back, I'll be able to see this different. And I mean, what are your thoughts of trying to put any of that in practice closer to the actual experience yeah. <laughs> versus
1: as we get removed from it. I mean, of course I think I make a huge difference. And I think I, I you know, I, I I've always, I don't, I don't know if you have, but I've always heard, you'll know, have a gratitude practice every day. Look around. What are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? And I mean, I get it. I have tried to do it at various times, but there's a different question that's really given me a, Giving me more access to gratitude, maybe right in the moment. And the question is what's working. Mm-hmm. And my friend Betsy asked me that about, I don't know, I was talking to her about our business, something about that. And she said, well, what is working? What is working every day? Write down what is working. And it might be that the sun is shining today. You know, it might be that whatever it is. And for me, that was something that just is a slight alteration that, like that. yeah, that gets it very like my pen is working. (laughs) Would I be grateful for this pen? Maybe I wouldn't see it, but I would, but I can look down and say, Oh, this pen is working. You know, we paid off this thing. We paid off that, whatever it is. And it, it is, it's just a different angle. I think.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. And I, I am also someone that sometimes struggles with the gratitude practice because there's been Times in my life where I look around and like, no, I'm I'm not grateful for anything. And yet there's things that are working. Mm -hmm. And so I like that shift. And um yes, thank you for that. (laughs) Add that question to my Yeah.
1: Yeah. It doesn't have to be a long list, (laughs) but something's working. Yeah.
0: No, that's beautiful.
1: Um
0: Angela, I'd love and jump in where it makes sense, but I'd love for you to share the story behind Threads Worldwide and this beautiful business that you have created and are are growing. So jump in where it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, So I have traveled a lot in my life. Um, I've been to 54 countries. It's my number one passion. And I traveled obviously a lot more before COVID, before kids and all of that. But I would multiple jobs. I would leave. I would take a sabbatical or I would just quit and go travel. And um, I remember being hit when I was in Cambodia. That was the first. I don't know the term to use now. I think you and I sort of talked about this earlier, but I don't know the term to use now. You know, developing country is not really quite right because they've been around a long time financially developing. I don't know how to to talk about it, but I was in Cambodia and I was very struck. It was the first country I'd been in that was, had that much poverty that I saw that much poverty. And it was, I, I had no idea that that existed before. I mean, I don't remember what year it was a long time ago, but maybe 20, 20 years ago, probably. Yeah. And, um, being in Cambodia, seeing that, and then more recently about 10, 11 years ago, being in India, I just knew that what, how the way that people were living was not correlate. It it just wasn't correlate to the talent that they have to, they just, the opportunity, there was something missing in connecting them to an opportunity. You know, why, why did I have certain opportunities that they didn't? And I don't know if I asked that question specifically when we were starting threads, but there just was something off. And not just how hard it was to see, but it just, I just couldn't connect the dots. And so I traveled a lot with my two best friends, Lindsay and Kara, and we would always find ourselves talking about how can we work together? How, what kind of business do we want to start? Let's do something together. And it was this one day that I had been um, in a class, I was um, starting to learn about social entrepreneurship. And um, I just was struck this one day, I saw this skirt that I had from the Congo. And I said, Oh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to bring in products made by women and we're going to sell through a community of women here. That's, it was just like, boom, boom, that thought, then the next thought. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we had no experience about anything, anything. I mean, name something. We didn't know how to build a website. we had never imported something. We, I, I, we didn't know how to market. We did not knew nothing, but we just had, so I went to my two best friends, talked with them about this. And long story short, they got on board and, um, and we started this company and really our whole goal is to connect women. We know when women connect, when women gather, we say magic happens. Mm. And if we can connect this really strong global market that we have in the U S with really talented, creative pieces that women can make around the world. And what we do is jewelry, handbags home goods then we can make a really big difference in these economies we can make difference in families and in communities and so that's what we did and we want to do it through women here in the US because of that connection i mean we could have done retail we could have done something online we chose not to we chose to do it through community selling because we want women here to not only be able to vote with their dollar. Everybody hears about that. Vote with your dollar, vote with your dollar. Yes, do. But we wanted women here to be able to actually create markets. And so women here can, just like our partners are starting their own businesses in Guatemala, Ecuador, Ethiopia, women here can start their own small business, however it looks for them. Doing it very much on the side, doing it very much full-time, selling jewelry, bags, home goods that are made by women around the world and not just I mean selling, yes, but like really connecting, learning the stories, learning about their families, learning about the difference that it makes. Um so that's what that's a long answer, but that's it's, the beginning <laughs> and then what I'm so passionate about. <laughs> yeah. It feels
0: like a short answer. I'm like, no, okay, no i gotta go
1: into more detail. Go into more
0: so there's so much here to to explore, Angela. And I I love, I mean it gave me chills when you were talking about just I just had this idea and this is this just came and this is what I'm going to do. And I don't, even, have no idea how, what were some of the next
1: steps from there? Oh my gosh. Okay. Let me think back to, okay. Um, well, of course, you know, very importantly, we had to, you know, think of our logo and our company name and our business cards, right? <laughs> Those things that you like, oh, that does not matter at all, but we sure spent too much time on that. Um, I spent way too much time shopping for very, you know, like, like learning about different groups and who we could work with and things like that to sort of start sourcing. But I had no idea. I mean, no idea. One of the things that we did that actually was an effective thing was, um, we went out to New York for a buyer show. Um, it's a huge, huge buyer show, like all the boutiques and everybody goes to this show in New York and they have a small section, um, that was, um, handmade and fair trade. And so that's what we went for. And so that's where we first started meeting partners, really learning about how this whole thing works. I mean, we were trying to negotiate bulk pricing on 10 items. Okay. And the, they were so nice to us and they just nicely said, that's not how this works. <laughs> and we're like, Okay. How does, how does this work? And I mean, we had no idea. And so we, it was also sort of like this. I don't know if this is how you feel about it when I don't know back when you're back in the States, but for me, whenever I go into whole foods, I sort of take for granted. You've done the curating for me have this be a healthy food. I don't know if that's true or not, but I just, that's what I go in with, right? That's how we went into this global marketplace. Like you've done the curating for me, you're fair trade, you're working with women, you're doing good work. We didn't dig too much there. Later on down the road, when we worked with some other partners outside of that marketplace, we really started doing our own digging and applying for the fair trade federation was, was a big process, but those are some of the first things that we did. And then we I man, we, we must have started a website somehow. I don't really know where our first website was. And and our first sales was at a big festival that um, one of my business partners, Kara, was, um, she was a big player. She ran part of it. So that's where we first went over, this, over Memorial Day weekend and just started selling our stuff. And wow. people bought it. So that was very validating. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love how you just jumped in,
0: too because I talk to a lot of people who have ideas and yet not knowing the answer to the questions holds them back. And I love your story of just going to uh, New York and, and asking questions and like, how can we do this? And and then learning,
1: Oh no, we can't do that. Okay. Well, well, what can we do? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I would say, um, it was one of those things that once once I saw it I knew there was no other option there was no other path
0: mm. this was it um Will yeah. you say a little bit more about that have you had other experiences in your life like that was this a different experience like where did that come from where did that knowing
1: come from so I don't think I've had other experiences like that I'm trying to think of big life choices right like even getting married. No, it was not like, Oh, boom, this is it. And there, you know, there's no looking back or anything like that. I mean, I love my, all that all were amazing husband and marriage and all that, but it wasn't like, like, this was like, I don't know, divine, like what, I don't know what, whatever source you believe in that sends messages. It just came, but it was also so perfectly aligned. I mean, it was like travel, working with women, um, you know, jewelry really at the beginning, we called it a vehicle. And I think it's more inspiring to call it an an invitation, Mm -hmm. but I was not a jewelry person. I'm still not honestly. (laughs) I mean, I, I obviously wear it a lot more now. I have a lot of access to it, but, um, my, my, uh, business partner, Kara, again, who, who I, we, we met in college playing volleyball together and she jokes, she's like, we didn't even wear jewelry. I mean, we were volleyball players. We just, we didn't, I mean, I maybe had two pairs of earrings that I would, if I could find both of them, I would wear, you know? Mm -hmm. So the jewelry was really more of an imitation, but everything else was just so perfectly aligned. And I just believe in the model, the community selling model, the direct selling model, whatever you want to call that model. I just believe in it so much. It really is. It's, it's, it's personal development, it's, um, it's connection and it's just, it's just a great model for, for this kind of sales.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about this community selling model and, and, and where did that idea come from you? What, what does that practically look like? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know where the idea came from. It just, again, out of the sky, <laughs> out of wherever you want to call it, right? It was yeah. bring in products made by women, sell through women, sell through women. That was it. Boom, boom. Um, and then the way that it practically looks is, you know, women can sell women. Women be are representatives are the, of the artisan, and then threads is the connector, maybe. So we we have a collection of jewelry and 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 bags and home goods. I'll just say jewelry for shorthand, but we have we sell other things as well. And, um, and women here can say, okay, I want to, I want to do this. I want to, whether they consider it starting their own business or they, it's a side hustle or something they just really, really believe in. Some people do it for fundraising. They go share, tell stories, sell. So they could sell at farmer's markets. They could sell at home parties. We do, that's how we did 95% of our business before the pandemic. You get your girlfriends together, jewelry, wine, all that, you know, and I know people have your listeners for sure have a, have some kind of opinion of a jewelry party, right? Like we Mm. all do. (laughs) I never loved them either. And ours are so fun. You know, it's talking about connecting about Santos and Marla and these women that we work with. And it's an excuse to get together. Um, you can sell online, you can sell through social media. So however it is that you want to do it, that's how that's, that's what we want to do. And again, we just, we, we want to, we want women to be the storytellers. We're such natural, great connectors and storytellers. And we want, we want that personality to come through as, as we're connecting women over the pieces because the pieces are really meaningful. And there really are real life hands that made these pieces. And we want real live hands selling them, <laughs> not just like because that. we figured out a Google algorithm or something like that. I
0: love that. Yeah. What about the women who are the artisans? And making these, where are they? How did you get in touch with them? How did you build the connections there?
1: Yeah. So we work in eight countries. So Guatemala, Ecuador, Bolivia, uh, Ethiopia, Uganda, Indonesia, India, Vietnam. And um, we started in New York. That's where it started. But then referral from referral from referral from traveling, things like that. Um, And we've been working with our partners, these same partners for... I mean, the last partner we probably brought on was probably six years ago. Um, And we really do that intentionally. When when we were looking for new partners, um, we wanted to make sure that they had really diverse product lines um, that they could scale with us. We wanted to make sure that was a long-term partnership. Um, And that was a big mistake we learned, actually, because at the beginning, being somebody who loves to travel, I wanted to, to say, not to say, I really wanted to be in every country so we would mm-hmm. open, like I'm doing air quotes right now for the listeners, open up Nepal, mm-hmm. open up Brazil. But really what that meant is we would buy one necklace from Nepal, one, you know, multiple quantities, but one skew mm-hmm. of a necklace, of earrings, something like that. And that's not doing anything for anybody. All it is doing is diluting and making more work for uh, for, for us to try to track and manage inventory. But it's not doing anything for for the women in Nepal. You know, they could do those necklaces and move on. But we, so one of the things that we realize is we want to develop these really long-term relationships over time where we're consistently going back to them and just going deeper, deeper, deeper with fewer partners. And truly one of the, I, we have partners coming to us all the time, asking for more work and wanting to work with us. But we here in the United States are the bottleneck. I mean, until we grow on the sales side and can know that we can consistently support new artisan groups, we're not going to bring on new artisan groups because we can't take work away from who we're already working with.
0: No, it's a, it's a beautiful model. And I, um, I love, I, I sense complexity in the decision-making of saying we're actually going to limit the number of partners that we have in these different countries, um, because it's, yeah, how do you, how do you, how do you say no? Like, cause there's a part of me that's just like, I would want to say huh. yes to everybody. Yes. Um, so yeah, it seems like there's quite a bit of complexity there.
1: Yeah. It, you know, it, it, I'll say it was very hard when we went from the 27 or so to the eight. It was really, I mean, it was hard for me because I'm the one who had the relationships with them. I think when we told them, honestly, they're like, okay, Like you just bought however many knuckles is not like it was a big ding to their business. Of course, they would have rather it went the other direction, but it wasn't something where we're pulling back a bunch of business. Um, And yeah, I mean, I do. I want to work with everybody. But I also know if we say yes to somebody, that means that we're taking business away from another group unless we grow. When we grow, then that can start to solve itself.
0: Right. And being really strategic in that. Yeah in that growth. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's challenging. That, that can be challenging from so many different angles, even more so when there is the social entrepreneurship, the desire to make a positive difference through the business, mm-hmm. um, that can be even even more challenging and yet critical to the long-term sustainability. Yep. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the
1: day, it's a business. I love that it's a business we purposely chose to make it A business versus a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, I and I I don't personally have a lot of experience with nonprofits, but my friends who do, I mean, you're you're still working for money, whether you're writing grants or doing fundraisers, we just happen to make money through exchange. Um well, there's something too
0: for women in business, and I I don't know, be curious to how hear how it was for you. I grew up where there wasn't a lot of focus on making money and, you know, getting ahead. And, and, and I, over the years, I've, I've seen it and sensed it in myself as I am a a business owner where I downplay my services and I'm super quick to discount because, well, I don't really do it for the money. It's more about making a difference in the world. And, and, you know, there's more and more books and resources out there of saying, Hey, I mean, women, Men, men go out and unapologetically be like, yep, I'm doing this to make money. (laughs) And women culturally, we've kind of been trained almost to be like, no, 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 it's not okay for me to pursue making money. Right. I, I want to make, so, I mean, yeah. What, what are your thoughts? What's your experience in that realm? Yeah.
1: And I'll say everything you said. And I think there's another layer, honestly, that I, 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 it just got brought to light for me. With this kind of work, too, there's even another layer of that I don't know what you want to call it, like shouldn't it be making money this <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. in
1: that it's for good, again, doing the air quotes, right? it's mm-hmm. it's it's it, it's i should I shouldn't be making money. Really, only the women that I'm like volunteering for should be. That's how that's mm-hmm. somewhat of the culture or it can easily get into the culture you know, we, Well, that's too much of a side story, but we, well, we did this, this campaign where it was basically buying backpacks that will be produced in Guatemala, but not for yourself. So you never get the backpack, you're buying it. And then it's going to be produced in Guatemala, made by the artisans, given to the artisans kids. Great. People sold those nuts. But if it's just for them to also be making money, then they have this hard time with it. It, it became harder. And, and I get it. I do get it. But also then, that goes right back to what you just said. Why can't we unapologetically make a bunch of money? I mean, hello, all of us have bills. All of us have kids who need braces, or you want to go on vacation, or you got to pay your cell phone bill, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I mean, that's that still exists. So what if you made that money in a way that you could still be really, really proud of?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and also be helping others, right? Because that's yeah. one of the beautiful things about being a business owner is you can provide jobs for other people and, and treat those people really well and fairly, and make sure that they are making money and improving their life and being able to pay their bills and provide for their kids. Um, and there's Always. obviously other ways to do it too, but like that, that can be done.
1: All the way down in our business model, that's all we're doing is creating work, creating work, creating work, creating work. Artisans, women here, women here, everywhere. Every every single piece is supporting a women-owned business, every single purchase.
0: Right. Yeah. Angela, would you talk a little bit about fair trade? I that that term is thrown around and I see it stamped on my coffee and things like
1: that. good. Good. I'm <laughs> glad you're buying that fair trade coffee. Yeah.
0: But I wonder how many of us don't actually know what that means. And I'd love to hear what what does it actually mean if something is marked fair trade?
1: Yes. So just like anything, there are different uh, kinds and levels of certification. Um, so there's the main ones that I know of, and hey, there might be other ones in other parts of the world. But are the World Fair Trade Organization, so WFTO, and then Fair Trade Federation, FTF. Um, there's also f- like fair, what's it called, fair Fair Trade USA, which some people are skeptical about. Um, there are some that will say Fair Trade Certified Factory, which means hey, the factory workers are working in fair trade conditions, but probably that means that I, and this is, you know, this is where the skepticism comes in, but this, but the, but potentially then the the um materials are not like the mm-hmm. cotton and all the whole supply chain isn't. Mm-hmm. So, but what is fair trade is it there's in, at, in the fair trade federation, there's nine tenants in the world fair trade organization. There's 10, but basically what it means is the three ones that we talk about all the time is that means there's no child labor. So you cannot, children cannot work on those, those products. Mm -hmm. Um, They're paid fairly and they're paid on time, which Mm -hmm. is a really big deal. And then there's healthy working conditions Mm -hmm. and there's other tenants about the environment, sustainability, things like that. But those three things are the ones that strike me the most because I, I just think about, okay, so if I'm buying a product that's not fair trade, what are they skipping out on?
0: Yeah,
1: and I mean, we heard about the um, factory that collapsed in Bangladesh that spurred a huge wave of people paying attention to this, but it didn't shut it down. That's still happening. And I just think about when people here in the U.S. are, you know, talking about oh, I got three t-shirts for three dollars or something. You know, Walmart, Walmart didn't miss their profit on those t-shirts. Target didn't miss their profit. So, who did? <laughs> I'm not saying everything's slave labor. It's not. but it it it, I, it just begs the question of why? I don't know. Wh- this is the my dream is that fair trade actually doesn't set us apart sometime in the future because everything's fair trade, and that you have to actually label things just like, you know why why does the um burden fall on the people who are doing the right thing to get certified? Instead of it having to say, by the way, on the tag in your shirt, you know, this shirt was sewn with slave labor. This shirt was sewn by kids ten and under. Wow. What if that was the way that was, and how would that actually impact our buying decisions? Just like the GMO things with 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 food. Mm-hmm. Why do they have to go through the effort of saying non-GMO versus like this has whatever? I don't even know much about that world, but this has warning. Don't buy this.
0: Yeah, no, that's a super interesting perspective and as I hear you say that it, I'm just struck by how, like, why, why does that feel so like such an innovative idea? Like, wow, that's a me That's an amazing idea. And wouldn't that be, wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, it it gives light to what we've learned to accept
1: and yeah. Been trained. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The organic farmers have to prove they're organic versus Mm -hmm. this was sprayed with pesticides. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So practically speaking, um, it, is it a completely separate process from what you do as far as who, I guess the question I want to ask, who is it that has to do the work of getting fair trade certified? Where, where does that work? Actually, who who's doing that?
1: Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so, and, and just to clarify, and I, I probably said this incorrectly, but it, I, I believe it's only agricultural things like fruits, coffee, and maybe chocolate or something that can actually be certified, like certified okay. fair trade. So, but you can be part of the fair trade federation. Okay. Like as a member. So we're part of the fair trade federation as a member. So jewelry is actually not fair trade certified. I don't really know the distinction, but I've been corrected before. So just to okay. be clear. Um, so part of the Fair Trade Federation, yeah, it's it's a very big Process. Um, You have to show, you know, who the suppliers are, how they're how they're involved in decision making, how pricing works, who sets the prices. um, Are they paid by the piece, by the hour? um, What happens if there's a conflict in the in the cooperative? um, Or how is it even structured? Is it structured as a cooperative? Um, All of that, and I'll tell you the first time when we applied, I think it was was it 2000, probably 18. I don't remember exactly. And, um, we were declined Mm -hmm. and uh, wait a second. And so I I had 30 days to go back and appeal. And it really wasn't that we were declined It's just that I did a bad job showing and proving it. I'm very much of the mindset of like, look, trust, like I trust them. You can trust them, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and they, you know, they said this and they said that, but no, I mean, I had to go and, and, create um so many processes that were really really helpful we had we had to go through an interview every single one of our partners with these questions then we had to set up a um form for any new people if they're applying to fill out some questions um every year we have to go back and 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 check in you know get sort of re I don't know re-verified um so it's it's rigorous and i can say you can confident you can be confident when you're buying from a Fair Trade Federation member or World Fair Trade Organization member, that you you know that the people who made whatever it is that you're wearing or eating, they it really is making a difference in their lives. I mean they really are earning fair wages. And this is something I learned about this is that when we say fair wage, to compare it to the US, if you wanted to go get a job at, I don't know, Burger King, and let's pretend that whole inflation and that whole conversation for paying people better wasn't happening right now. Right. And you were just getting minimum wage, minimum wage. Oh. If you were just getting minimum wage and you couldn't live off of minimum wage, too bad. Then mm-hmm. Burger King would say, well, don't take the job then. Mm-hmm. But with fair trade, it really is a living wage and it takes into account transportation food, housing, medical, there's a lot of things that go into it to really see, is this a living wage? Mm -hmm. And typically they're paid between four and 12 times what the government's minimum wage is in the countries where they're working. Um, And I always say with a huge caveat that that's if there was another job it's it's not oftentimes, oh, I can go make jewelry here or here. It's no. It's right. you go make jewelry here or you're doing nothing. Yeah, um, and so they're getting paid not only a a, a good job, a good thing, or, or have a job, but they also are paid much better than what this minimum is,
0: yes, and 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 I think it's I don't know, having lived in a variety of countries where the living wage, a good living wage is less than ten u s. dollars a day um it is, it gives me pause to realize how far our U.S. dollar can go. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and talk about yeah. making life less difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, back to your initial story of Cambodia. That's the first country I traveled to out of the U.S. And I mean, I I, I track back my change, change my life. My worldview just opened up so much to me, but I remember we were working at a, an orphanage in a school and, you know, some of the kids were, I, I think they were used to having foreigners come and do, you know, mission projects and stuff like that. And they would, they would ask, can you help me with my tuition for next year? And tuition for the whole entire year was $40. Yeah. And I was like, um, yes, I can't. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and then talking to the people that ran the school, and it's like, are, like, can I? How many kids can I support going through school?" Because it just blew my mind that they can truly put a kid through school for yeah. forty U.S. dollars a year, and it's yeah. like, "Oh wow!"
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something that we have to be. No, I think that is something we don't have to be careful because of the relationship we have with our partners, but. It It is something that I hear about when people want to go and do work in other countries that I'm always listening for because um, one of my friends, uh, they went down to Haiti and they were going to do something with the T-shirt biz and they were going to pay U.S. prices. Right. So here's the thing, too, is fair wage means a fair wage. It does not mean U.S. prices because that causes it causes trouble on the other end, too. Yes. Of it just, it's not, it can throw off economies.
0: Yeah. I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that because I mean, living in the, the foreign service life that we do, this is actually a conversation that comes up because a lot of countries where we live in, it's expected that we have housekeepers. People have full-time housekeepers, full-time nannies, full-time drivers. Right. And it's, it's very inexpensive compared to, and there's some people that say we should be paying us minimum wage in these countries and yet it's actually incredibly disruptive to the local economy. And so I, I, I mean, if you're willing to share a little bit more about that. Yeah.
1: Well, I would love to, I mean, I'd love to have you share too. Like, I mean, I, I, haven't lived in a place like that. I've experienced that and I've, I've stayed, but I, I haven't lived where to know what that, what it would be like, but like for my, from my experience, and from, I guess, sort of like the theory of it is now you're, you're disrupting the economy because somebody who now who is, I don't know, well, here's an example of what happened is in Haiti, then the one factory workers who weren't paid us prices started rioting mm-hmm. and caught, you know, I don't, I don't know what it turned into, but because they weren't getting paid us prices and so, well, that's not how that works. It's a, it. The, the if if it if it costs $40 to go to school for the entire year and now you're paying them what $20 an hour it throws things off it's it's not that they should it, it it's just not it's apples to apple i mean it's apples to oranges yeah. um and and i think i don't know i'm trying to give another better example because it seems like we should but it it's sort of like i don't know people in Denver get paid differently and the cost of living is different than downtown Manhattan. Yep. And if you get paid downtown Manhattan prices here in Denver, well, that's fine. But your, you, your whole, your whole way of life changes here. But now imagine that times 10, 50, whatever the exchange rate is, it's, it just throws things off. I don't know. I'd love to have to hear you, how you would describe it. But it. It's,
0: it's interesting, right, because I think on one hand, um, Americans are known for our generosity. I mean, America gives, donates more money like per cap. I don't know all of the numbers and things like that, but, but, but in general, Americans tend to be incredibly generous, and, and that's a beautiful attribute, right, that that we can have. And yet in these contexts where we go into another country where the economy is so drastically different and here in Sri Lanka, people making a good, a really good living are making between two and $300 a month. And they are able to afford housing and food and caring for their family and and everything that they need to live a a good quality life. Um, And so for foreigners to come in and say, well, you should be earning 10 times that it, it is incredibly disruptive. And one of the the things that I've heard people point out in places where people insist on doing this and paying, there's actually a lack of respect. Like the local people are just like, that's, I can't believe these people are doing that. They're stupid. And, and, and yeah, I'll take advantage of it, but it, it, it really is disruptive. It's not like, uh, Oh, thank you. You're saving my life. And, and, it, and it also goes to that kind of like, I mean, you can tap back into all the issues with colonialism and, you know, the foreigner coming in to save the day. And, and and I just people don't need that. Like, I think people want I mean, humans want to um, have meaningful work and be valued for for what they do. And and I don't even know how to put words around yeah. it, but it almost yeah. is like it you're not. You're not actually acknowledging the person and valuing them for what they're doing. You're just kind of like throwing money at them. And it it actually doesn't create a feeling of value, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah it it does. It does. I, I I I would love to have somebody, I would love to talk with somebody who can really like give some of the economics to it. It it tips a little bit into, well, I'm gonna go down and build a school well that sounds amazing and and I mean and, uh, I don't know I, at the same time okay so if you're going on building a school are you taking jobs away from somebody mm-hmm. and to some degree but but they probably wouldn't have built a school without it but then you know I mean it's just there's certain things though there's certain products and that's why I love the work that we do because it is creating work and I don't want I, I the way I think about our relationship with our partners is, we're sort of kickstarting the economy a little bit because I don't want their whole economy to me to be based on international purchases. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like economies that thrive only because of tourists. Mm -hmm. It's just a little tenuous. Mm -hmm. So I don't want that. But a lot of the artisans that we work with, they end up leaving the cooperative and they go start their own business. Mm -hmm. They've learned business skills. They have income. Now they have their footing. Now they can go do that and they can go create other local strengthen their local economy or they go and hire somebody um one of the groups um, in bali they went no was it bali no ecuador they went and hired a a chef a cook a cook so now so now this woman has another job to like work with the artisans and cook for them like those kind of things you know hiring in-house like Babysitters, you know, all these kind of things that here we might might not think of as a big deal, but it that's another job that was created from that cooperative. No, that's and it started awesome. with income from the outside, but is not doesn't have to be there, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's a book I'd have to look up the author. You might know her, um, Manifesto for a moral revolution. And um she has done a ton of work in, in this. Um, I should actually just take a second to to look it up because um she has done um so much work. Jacqueline Novogratz.
1: What's it called? Manifesto.
0: For a moral revolution. Yeah. And okay. she started an organization called acumen.org that really looks at how can we how can we go into yeah. places that are in poverty and help them in a way that that actually works for them. And her whole point is like, we come in as foreigners with our own value system. And we say, what you really need is this. And we don't ever ask the local people, what do you actually need? We just come in with our external values and perspectives and tell them what they need. And it's why it fails so much, right? And we go into villages in Africa and dig a well. And then six months later, people have filled in the well because they didn't understand that the women actually want to walk a mile to go get the water because they love that connection
1: time. They just want to be away from the family. And yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But we have such a hard time of like pausing. And and she said, like, what we really need to do is go in and ask them what they need. And and I think that has come to mind as we're having this conversation of, we come in as a foreigner and say, well, what you really need is you should be making this much money and you should be paid like this. And we don't pause to stop and ask and say, hey, what would make a difference in your life? what would make your life a little less difficult. And I think that there's real value there of understanding the local culture, taking the time to ask the questions and not just trying to fix everything and, and get, comes back to the very beginning of our conversation, right? We want to get, we want to inspire, we want to empower, and we want to fix everything. And it it's like, well, actually maybe those small steps at the beginning are the best place to start. So people can figure out how to empower themselves along the way and not just rely on these external sources.
1: Yeah. And that's what we find with our, with the the women that we partner with our partners is they, they tying back to what you said about um, overpaying, you know, there's, there's maybe a loss of respect or like, this is crazy. They love reorders They love working. They love when we love their things. They love, you know, like a reorder to them. It's like an artist. Yeah. Somebody buying your art. Wow. You liked it and you sold it enough to rebuy it from me. Like, like what a, what a, um, I don't know, validation of your amazing work. Absolutely. And and they're really proud of that, and it's like they—they're working hard, and they're—I don't know—they're like strong, strong businesswomen, and just throwing money at them or a big donation or something like that. That's why I don't want to get involved in in that kind of donating stuff. I mean, there's probably a place in all that, but that's not where I want to spend our our impact.
0: Yeah. So Angela, I I feel like I could just keep asking you questions forever, Um, but I would love to hear, can you share briefly if someone's listening and is intrigued and like, wait a minute, how can I get involved with this? How could I, if I wanted to start a side hustle, I mean, what does that process look like? Where does that connection be in?
1: Yep. Our simplest is Threads Worldwide. We're just Threads Worldwide all over the place on Instagram, Facebook, our website, threadsworldwide.com. You click on join, or you can email me and I'm just Angela at threadsworldwide.com. Um, and we can talk or you could just jump in and go for it and um know that you're you're creating work right alongside us and our partners and it's a lot, a lot of fun.
0: That's awesome. I'll include links in the show notes um to website and social media and your your email address if you're okay with that. And um this is fascinating. I love the work that you're doing and yeah, have a thousand likewise.
1: questions. So. Yes, I know. Likewise, likewise. Maybe we can do a part two. Yes, I would love to. Absolutely love
0: to. Um, thank you so much for sharing and connecting and being willing to just jump into the conversation.
1: Hey, thank you very much. It was really, really fun. And I agree. I could just talk for hours. So really, let's set something up.
0: Sounds good. Next time.